Are you looking for hope? Then you're in the right place. If you're not, well, you're still in the right place because we all need hope. Welcome to the Shine and Delight podcast. We hope to navigate life's storms together as we encourage and build up one another to find true saving hope in the only one that can truly satisfy. We can't fix your problems, but we'll definitely point you towards someone who will. Come along. Beautiful people. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. A beautiful day in the... It's, oh, sorry. It's raining outside. Yeah, again. The presence of the Lord is here. <laughs> Always. <laughs> Bro? Uh, am I kicking it off? Okay. So our icebreaker this week, if you could live in any TV show, what would it be? Mallory, this was... By the way, we're bringing in a new guest on the show. Uh, Are we allowed to introduce her? Oh, introduce her, please. Yes. Let's do it. So this is our friend Mallory who worked at Google. I don't know if everyone knows that, but wow. she worked at Google. <laughs> she developed the algorithm for the search engine. She's Actual really genius on the podcast this week. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yes, Mallory, tell us some more interesting facts about you, and then you get to answer that question. Interesting? I thought last time it was well, boring facts. Well, we change it up this time. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um... I grew up half my life in Roswell, New Mexico, best known for the UFO landing. Awesome. <laughs> Sorry, guys, I got a squeaky chair. I was just moving around a little bit, in it, and we, we thought it was everybody else's chair, but it turns out it's mine. Andrew yeah. here. Cool. All right, you grew up in Roswell. I got a friend. I've been there twice. They have a really good donut shop. What else? What donut shop? Uh, my buddy took me there. I forget what it was called. Anyways, keep Donut moving. shop. Okay. It's a, okay. You know, like all donut, donut shops. Mama Tucker's? Yeah. That's okay. it. See? Yeah. Okay, we're right. Yeah. I remember. I it was took me a say. second. I had like a blueberry fritter. It's the first time in my life having a blueberry fritter. I was like, oh my gosh. It's very good. So mother was actually supposed to join us last Friday, right? But then I messed up and then I blamed it on Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for saying yes. Of course. Of course. You guys are doing some awesome stuff here. Oh, well, what is the uh, icebreaker? Role. What TV show would you live in? Any TV show ever of Any all time. Any TV show, yeah. Mallory, you're up first. <laughs> so it's a tough one because, you know, you there's like interesting TV shows, but would you actually want to live there is always the question. And so I think for me, I ended up at Parks and Rec. Uh, Sounds really fun, actually. Yeah, I think it would be pretty funny just working with them and hanging out. So that is where I landed. Oh, what about you guys? I'm actually not a fan of the show. I've only seen half of one episode, but SEAL Team. It's just a, it's a TV show about Navy SEALs. They're living in Coronado, California, and they're Navy SEALs. You just want to work out with them and hang out? Pretty much, yeah. But not actually be a SEAL. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I don't want to get shot at, but I do want to. I mean, their training includes blowing stuff up, jumping out of planes. I mean, who doesn't want to do that? And they're living in Coronado, <laughs> California. So, yeah, win, win, That would win. be fun. Okay, yeah. I like that. Navia, what do you got? Wakanda forever. It's a movie. Oh, it's yeah, It's a movie. True. we got to do shows. Um... <laughs> The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. <laughs> yourself well Okay, in. fun fact. Wow, okay. You have to be yourself in it. So that means you can oh, be you wow. in The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Oh my God. <laughs> I like that. He gets to be in full self in this one, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I, I honestly do not watch that much TV, guys. Um, and so I'd probably have to go back to the Jack Bauer 24. Ooh. I would probably pick that. Was I could watch all the seasons growing up, so that's got to be the show I'd want to be a part of and see what happens. I just follow him around the whole time. With a little, I'd be like the videographer for him. Yeah, mm-hmm. be like, get out of my face. Be like, no, let's do this. <laughs> that's awesome. It's another beautiful day. We are here. We are shining in delight. And again, hope is what we speak of. So, Andrew, if you don't mind, uh, could you recapitulate the last episode? Yeah, the biggest from the thing from the last episode that we talked about yeah. was really hitting rock bottom yeah. and how a lot of the time we as human beings have to hit rock bottom 
in order and before we come to some sort of faith mm -hmm. um, because we typically rely on things of this world fill ourselves yeah. up with that um, or things around us whether that be friendships or food or sex drugs whatever you want to call it like we typically rely on those things and usually we have to hit rock bottom uh, and that's because we love the world and the things around us yeah. uh, overall on that but rock bottom is that place where we're like wow i can't do this by myself and we end up searching out hopefully for god and that's where we're like wow I'm fully satisfied in that. So that was the biggest thing we talked about last time. And I think uh, one of the questions that we we were to ask, you know, onto that was why does a good and loving father allow us to get to this rock bottom moment? Yeah, I so I, I ended up talking about my dad on this show a lot just because I have such a good dad. And, and one of the things that he did for me when I was a kid was he came to me when I was a sophomore in high school and said, you're playing football. And I was undersized, I was unathletic, and I wasn't very fast. And so he knew that I was gonna, heck, get, gonna get the heck beat out of me on a daily basis. But he realized as my dad, he had a higher understanding and he knew that the long-term benefits of me playing football would outweigh the temporary pain that I would feel getting knocked, you know, getting knocked on my butt four days a week. Um, you know, and, and that ended up being true. I mean, a lot of the friendships that I formed have still lasted to this day. A lot of the lessons that I've learned have benefited me to this day. And it's because my dad understood that the short-term pain in that moment was going to be worth it in the end, even though I didn't understand that as a 16-year-old, he had a higher understanding than I did. And I think that God operates in the same way in that he lets us hit that rock bottom and he understands that the short-term pain in that moment is worth it in the long run because it ultimately brings us back to him. Oh, wow. Yeah, it says in the Bible, the father who loves his child disciplines his child. So sometimes it may be a discipline of some kind in order that we can feel his love and go back to him. Well, I, I have a friend, a, a friend of mine uh, who is actually privileged to present the gospel to him, right? And he's only 20, I think. He's only 20 years old and he contracted a rare form of cancer and he is, the doctors think he's not going to make it beyond November, right? And so now he has one of these rock bottom moments whereas, you know, there's there some times when you get to a rock bottom moment and then, uh, your savior comes to your rescue and then you back up. And now he feels like his wrong bottom moment is extending for such a long period of time and actually for the rest of his mortality, right? So what, how do we talk to these people to reconcile their situations with the truth that God is actually in the fight and is fighting for them and is going to rescue them? Yeah, we discussed this a little bit last time as well. Would, you, would we call him Paul? Was that his name? Yeah. I forget. Our, yes. Our hypothetical guy. Hypothetical Paul, Paul yeah. No, no, no. Uh, Paul was the other guy who, um, who, who went through so much stuff before God came to his rescue. So this is- This individual way. already knows yeah. God. Yeah. Well, I think we have to look at the, it seems to be that the United States Christianity is healthy, wealthy, and blessed. Um, that's the way we approach things perspective-wise, um, when really that's not the gospel at all in the sense that, because um, Jesus says, in this world, you will have troubles, right? There's going to be troubles. There's going to be suffering. And he, but then he says, but take heart. I've overcome the world there in John. And that is it. So that's it. We're taking heart in the fact that he's overcome the world. He has conquered death. And that's our, where our hope is at. It's not that, I mean, I'm going to live a great life here on this earth and I'm just going to be healthy and I'm going to have tons of money and I'm going to have tons of friends. It's going to be great. That's not what Christ promises at all. And I think we have gotten really far away from the idea of suffering in the American church and what that really means. Well, and I would also give a different perspective in the sense that um, when I was going through James 1, you know, and it says you will have trials. There's not a, it's like when you have trials, not if. Um, 
Charles Spurgeon kind of spoke on that a little bit, and he was mm-hmm. like, you know, in the moments when you're going through stuff, you you don't want that to happen, right? But when you um, get out of that, you realize how close you were to God in those moments, mm-hmm. that you, in those moments when you are going through everything, you allow him into a different level and you experience him to a different level than you do when life is good because you kind of put everything on the back burner because you're just riding on that high versus when things are low, you invite him into those moments um, and you see him work. And I think it's in those moments like, you know, when we're weak, he is made strong. That's what we see. Well, so I actually want to want to read a verse that a lot of people, it's the football verse. It's Philippians 4.13. It's I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's probably one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible because a lot of people read that and they think, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Therefore, I'm going to go block, you know, I'm going to go block the biggest dude on their team. And I'm going to be a hero, you know, for my school. That's not really what it's getting at. Because what the verses before Philippians 4.13 tell us is that it's actually giving us a very different message. It says, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Paul, he's writing the Philippians. He's not saying that I can do anything I want because I serve God and he's just going to empower me to do anything. He's saying, no, life is going to be very difficult, but it does not matter because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's saying that he can endure all things through Christ who strengthens me, not I can accomplish all things through Christ who strengthens me. Wow. And is it, do you guys think it's easier for us to say that because we are not in that situation or what gives us the confidence to speak about this Christ of the fact that he can actually save and he will save and he has saved, especially if we haven't really, we don't have a real form of content, we're not going to die in the next six months. Well, I can speak from my own experience. Um, I had a three-year-old niece that was diagnosed with stage four cancer that she was completely fine and six weeks later had stage four. Um, She ended up defeating the cancer, but the side effects actually at age six um, took her life. And for the longest time, obviously, we were walking through trials of just seeing a young child have to go through cancer treatments, you know, and um, having to see my sister as a mother have to make these big decisions. Um, but what we ended up realizing is our definition of good is not the same as God's, you know, his is eternity, whereas ours is limited. And so we think a good job or getting money or, you know, feeling good in this like, you know, 24 hour period is good. And he saw what was really good, which was her soul being filled, her having these bright moments, her, the, the impact she had on the eternities of others just wow. through her enduring and my family enduring. And so at the end, when we, you know, kept praying for healing, he answered that in the sense of healing her to where she would have no deficiencies. She's in heaven and able to run around and be a full child, whereas if she had stayed on earth, she would have been limited, you know? So sometimes I have to really ask God to clarify what is goodness, because my definition is so limited. And I think that's very important, what you talk about, that the source of our knowledge, you know, knowledge of good versus wrong emanated from our disobedience the wisdom to decipher between good and wrong actually emanates from God. So like we actually, because wisdom is a gift from God, so we usually have to get to a place where we're like, God, give me wisdom. And I think uh, we talked about that a few moments ago where uh, Mallory said, if you want, I think it's in James, that if, if you want wisdom, you need to ask of it with the expectation that it shall be granted to you. Well, we looked at, oh no, I lo- love James there, um, you know, 
where God says he, he will give it uh, when you ask him with no doubt, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but moving back to the question, and Matt was giving a really personal experience in yeah. that. So a lot of times it's, it's from the personal experiences we can see God's faithfulness and then also looking at what he's done um, through the Bible and just how he's been faithful to the people throughout the Bible, mm-hmm. but really in his faithfulness to us. And we look at Jesus coming to this earth and really suffering for us. Um, if you really put that in perspective, like the creator of the entire universe decided to come into human form and live this kind of crazy life, this me- measly life for 30 somewhat years. And he gave up so much. And then the ultimate, he died a very, very painful death, um, being beaten uh, and flogged and then on a cross. And there was so much suffering in his life there. And it's not that he said, Father, take this from me, take this cup from me, you know, but not my will, but yours be done. Yeah. And I think it's okay to have that same mentality is like, this suffering is too much for me, God, but I know you're here with me. If you can take it, that'd be great, but not my will, but yours be done. Wow. And so it's getting to that, that perspective and the trust that says, I know what you're doing is better than what I know to do. Well, yeah. And, and Mallory made a really good point about our definition of good. And I've always thought about it like this. If everything that my 17 year old self wanted, he got, I would have a terrible life right now. I would be obese because I would have eaten fast food every meal and I never would have exercised. Um, I probably wouldn't have finished college. I definitely wouldn't have played four years of baseball. Would you have a girlfriend? Definitely, maybe, yes. maybe oh, two kids. Someone that should not, maybe <laughs> someone I shouldn't be dating. Six kids, and yeah, yeah I actually got six, six girlfriends. I would have a lot of debt. I mean, if I mean, I have a lot of student debt. I would have, more, I would have a lot of consumer debt, if that makes sense. I would have maxed out credit cards. But basically, you know, we look back and and our, our younger, dumber selves, and we can we can look back at it with gratitude now, in that God did not give us what we wanted when we were young and stupid. But then we're constantly changing by God's grace, we're constantly growing. And so we're always the younger and stupider version of our future selves. And so if we constantly were given our definition of good, I don't think that that would be what a loving father would do. I think God loves us so much that he refuses to give us what we think is good in his mercy, because our definition of good kind of sucks. Wow. That's excellent. That brings me to my next, uh, something I've just uh, noted uh, in doing life, in having conversations with friends from church, it comes to my attention that a lot of them normally talk about, hey, I'm feeling depressed. Hey, I'm feeling hopeless. And there's a people who've given their life, lives to Christ and they keep waiting for that moment when Christ is going to be like, hey, here I come to your rescue. Don't have to deal with that anymore. I promised to give you hope and here it is. So you don't have to be depressed anymore. But that does not seem, at least, to be the common reality. No, it's not at all. But it's funny, um, reading in Psalm 43 this morning, Psalm of David, who's been anointed with oil, anointed with the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that we have inside of us. And he says at the end of there in verse five, why are you depressed, O my soul? Why are you upset? Question mark. Right, but then he responds, wait for God, for I will again give thanks to my God for his saving intervention. Right, even even David, who most people know, David and Goliath. I mean, if you don't don't have Christian faith, and he's over there, a lot of ups and downs, and he's depressed. Why are you depressed, oh my soul? David? Who is David? Yeah, um, he is the Lord's anointed king, the second king of Israel, um, and he was considered a man after God's own heart. Not because he was perfect by any means, but because he repented of his wrongdoings and his sins against God, mm-hmm. and he recognized that his sins were only against God and against no one else. Um, 
and that's who David was, the second king of Israel. And there are historical records of, of David found in uh, geology um, and through archaeology. Um, so we know that he was a real man. He did quite a few things, um, actually, for God. But he's also wrote most of the Psalms because he was a uh, musician. And so we see a lot of times where he talks about his soul being depressed. I mean, he repeats that up in, again in Psalm 42. He has a lot of ups and downs in life because he's being pursued by the, like, when he's not king, he has to wait, he has to get anointed like 15, 16 years of age. He doesn't become king until he's like 31, 32. It's about 15, 16 years of waiting, a lot of ups and downs being pursued by various enemies, the previous king. And yet he has the spirit of God on him and he's depressed. And I'm thinking about the time frame, man, 15 to 31, 32. That's like our age, right? A lot of young adults, yeah. high school, college, right out of there. And you're like, why am I, what's going on? You know, we have a ton of ebbs and flows because so much is drastically changing in our life along with him. And we feel with social media and things going on and so we're easily sidetracked and depressed. And he immediately he sings songs to tell God his entire heart and to refocus himself back on God. Wow. But the depression ebbs and flows for wow. him. Yeah. Well, and I would say the Psalms too, they tend to have a consistent um, method of how he speaks to God. And it's always the first part is just being his fully authentic self. Like this is, God, I am, you know, I'm so happy or I'm so low. Um, but he always ends it with praising who the character of God is. Mm. You know, he it's like a reminder for himself, but it also a clinging to the fact that God is a promise keeper and he has told him what is to come. And so he's he's trusting him. But he always starts it by being honest about how he is feeling. And I think that is such a good reminder for us because we can get so caught in how we feel, but our feelings can lie and they are temporary. But his promises and his truth or not, you know? Well, yeah. And with the last line there is he starts to look towards God's hope. So depression is really looking at the past and, and letting that be your central focus and the negative things of the past. And we know what you focus on expands. And so that when depression is, man, I just focus on the past and negative things that happen just overwhelms me and overwhelms me and overwhelms me. It's too much for me versus if we switch that and flip it and focus on the hope that we have in the future, right? That starts to expand in our life. And instead of saying, oh, here's all the bad things that happen, we start man, this is the good thing that God has promised to me. And that can bring light gradually into that depression. Well, yeah. And I also want to make another point. There's a story about Elijah in the Old Testament, and I really wish I knew where it was so I could quote the exact scripture. But basically what he does is he has this showdown in the desert with 400 pagan prophets. And he, they have this big thing, and he says, you know, they're, they're saying whose God is real, and, and it's the prophets of Baal. And so they, they set up two altars. you got the prophets of Baal, and then you've got Elijah. And basically the competition is whoever, whoever's God lights their altar on fire is the real God. And so the, the prophets of Baal, they're chanting, and they're doing all these things, and they're trying to call down fire from their you know, pagan God, and it doesn't happen. And then Elijah, who's kind of trash-talking him the whole time, once they're done, he says, okay, I want you to take these giant things of water, and I want you to dump it all over my altar. I just want you to soak this thing in water. That way, when it does catch on fire, I don't want anyone to think that it was an accident. So you're going to soak this altar in water. And then once you think it's soaked, then you're going to take more water and you're going to dump more water on top of it. And then after all that, boom, it lights on fire. And he, he calls down fire from heaven. And he wins this big showdown in the desert. And he's just this massive spiritual high. And then the queen threatens him, threatens his life. And then he runs away scared and he goes into this massive depression. And I think that we, we have this this image of depression where it's just, it happens in our lows and it really happens after our highest of highs. That's really when it kicks in. At least I know that in my own experience, it happened for David and he was on the run. And then it happened for Elijah after he calls down fire from heaven <clears throat> and then he's hiding out in the desert. And then an angel of the Lord, you know, appears to him 
and tells him to take a nap and eat some bread. And I think that's really interesting because he, this angel is telling Elijah, you know, you're depressed, so let's take care of your physical needs. Let's get some sleep and let's eat something nutritious and then take another nap. And then we'll get, then we'll get ready and then we'll get ready to go. And then it's, it's God, it's kind of this, this crazy story of God showing that he doesn't just care about our spiritual needs. He also knows about our physical needs and he cares about our physical needs and our day-to-day, you know, the day-to-day need and the things that will sustain us on a day-to-day basis. First Kings 18 and 19. First Kings 18 and 19. There's there you a story. Go. Yeah. And that actually re- reminds me of Philippians chapter 4 verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your requests to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but yes. What does the end of verse 5 say? You took the words right out of my mouth. Uh, Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. The Lord is at hand. Right, so we look at 6 and 7. I'll be anxious for nothing. But why are we anxious for nothing? Why can we do this? Because God is right here with you in it. Wow. Right, and I saw that in the Bible probably three years ago, and I was like, where's this? No pastor's ever pointed me to this. Like, what's going on here? And it's like looking at God's faithfulness, the fact he doesn't leave you. He's right next to us. And for that reason, we therefore say, you know what? I have this peace that surpasses all understanding because he's with me. I'm not going to be anxious about the future. I'm not going to be depressed about the past. Okay. And that and, reminds me of uh, the Israelites uh, in Exodus chapter 13, uh, Exodus chapter 14, from verse 13 to 14. I think I've shared with this verse with all of you. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance uh, the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Yeah, and then also one, another thing, going back to Philippians 4, right after that verse, he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. It kind of gives us a little, it kind of gives us a little homework in a way. You know, Paul's telling the, telling the church in Philippi, hey, you know, whenever you get in these, these seasons where you feel down, here's a little, here's something you can do to get out of it. And it's actively train your mind to think about the things from God rather than letting the things of the world kind of weigh us down. Yeah. I want to say, uh, Jenny Allen kind of talks about that in her book, get out of your head, but, um, I think that's what it's called, but, um, what she's kind of pointing out. And I think what we have to be reminded of in like even Genesis that, um, God made man stewards and not just of the world around us, but of our own minds. Right. And so he gave us that power to capture those thoughts and to submit those to him and also to seek his strength when that's, you know, seems too much. Um, but yeah, we have that ability to stop those thoughts that continue us to go down those darker paths and invite light in, even mm-hmm. when it's hard and even when you don't feel like it. You know, it's the same thing of if you want to work out, you don't always want to go to the gym, but if you keep going, you'll see progress. You'll see goodness happening. You'll see changes, even if you're not feeling it, you know? I never want to go to the gym. As soon as you said the word workout, Andrew perked up in his chair. I was like, gym? Oh, let's <laughs> talk about this. Yeah, our, yeah. Our resident CrossFitter. Well, I mean, she said you show up anyways. You just make it a habit where you're just going to show up. You make it a habit where you're going to rely upon God, where you're going to spend time in his word every single day, and you watch what happens. Because our, our motivation, our discipline will wane. Our motivation wanes, ebbs, and flows. But we develop these great habits where my, my fallback, my base level is I'm going to God every time. A lot of times we're like, my base habit is I just I let it overwhelm me, and I think about my pity, woe is me, instead of saying my base habit should be I'm going to read the Bible and pray. 
right? We got to switch things up. Yeah. Have you guys have uh, have you guys ever had a moment when things were just not going according to your plans and it is really 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 hard to trust in God? Mm, well, I was just thinking about reading the Bible and story a couple of years ago I work in real estate and I'm back in Albuquerque where I'm from and about like 4 years ago now and I just I worked my butt off this amazing offer of clients. This is before the market was super hot like it is now, but there were still like 11 offers on this house. And these are my my good friends, my former triathlon coach. And we put an offer in and we win it. Like took a lot of stress or whatnot. I'm super ecstatic. Like I get that gif where is it? I forget who it is. I'm just back, just super excited everywhere. We're not shaking his head, hands by his face. And I sent it to him. And the next morning he calls me and he's like, hey, I, I, don't, I don't think we want to buy this house anymore. You know, looking at like, I'm like, but you really wanted it. And I know your <laughs> wife really wants it. And he's just like, well, and I could just tell he was stressed out because he was like in between jobs. Like he was retiring from the military, all this stuff going on. And I just asked him, I said, what's going to be most glorifying to God and what's going to cause you to trust God more? I said, sit on that. And so I'm like, I'm like, man, I just worked my butt off for this. I was like, this is going to be a good thing. And I was like, I was at the gym when he called me. So I immediately go to Starbucks, pull out my Bible, read like 15 chapters in Romans, not even kidding, um, and just went to God for it for a couple hours. And that was my immediate response. I know this is not answering your question, but it's, just, it's a little bit answering, but that's immediately what I thought of. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm just going to take this. Obviously, my, the plan that I had was not turning out how I wanted it. And so therefore I went immediately to God and he just gave me this comfort and this peace around things that he says I'm in control. Wow. I just repeat the question because I want to make sure I answer it correctly. Uh, have you ever had a moment where, you know, things are not going your way and you found it really, really difficult to trust in God? Yeah. So I would say trust in general. I just have not had great experiences. I think on earth, you know, we know that people are fallible, you know, they'll let you down. And um, I've had unique experiences with that with many people. And so um, for me, I have this tendency to want to test what God can do, um, but also not giving him too much because if I don't want to fall on my face. Right. But I've noticed in moments um, when I do completely hand it over to him, like my future, especially. Uh, so this past three years really, but the last year was really intensely leaning on him, was I quit my job, moved to Texas. From Google? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Google. Google. Um, I quit my job. I moved to Texas, um, did not have an income for about a year. And um, I was just having to really test out that faith, you know, uh, relying on him, trusting where he's going to lead. And I had little moments where I kept I would, you know, apply for a job or, you know, I got reached out by other companies that I would be making, you know, all this money over this entire time. I could have even gone back to Google and continued to have um, things how they were. But God was just like, wait, trust me. You know, he'd give me this sense of anxiety whenever I'd try to step in and try to control it on my own. And I've just seen him work um, by t- taking things out of my life that were not serving me that, you know, disrupted my peace, but also bringing opportunities into my life that I would never have expected. Like um, I'm currently doing contract work for the Bible project and that completely happened out of no work of my own. Like I didn't apply, I didn't even know anything really about the company that much. Um, It was my old CG member that was just like, hey, do you need work? Uh, And they created a position for me. So, um, and that's completely God, you know, I didn't do anything. So it was when I stopped trying to control so much that he really was able to step in and show what he can do when you let go. Well, yeah, I have a bunch right now. Definitely is one, one season. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm waiting on, on law school and if they'll let me in and, um, if not, you know, I need to find a job pretty quickly. And so that's definitely one, but I, I guess the biggest one for me was 
my sophomore year of college, and I, I always talk about baseball and my dad so much just because those are two blessings that God has given me, and that's those are two of the ways that I've come to understand and, and to know God more is through baseball and my dad. But my sophomore year of college, I, I didn't pitch a single inning. I was the only guy on the team that didn't pitch a single inning, and we were not a good team. It's not like we had this amazing pitching staff and they never need me. It was we had one of the worst pitching staffs in the country statistically, and I didn't throw a single inning. And so I was furious mm. the whole the whole semester, the whole season. Um, it was probably my least favorite season of baseball I've ever played, ever been a part of. And I was just mad. And I and it was worse because I had all these expectations going into Hendricks that I was going to, you know, break a bunch of records and, you know, be a, a D3 hero and do all this stuff. And it just didn't happen. I mean, my career was laughable. I mean, on the field, statistically, it was pretty bad. And it was worse because, you know, halfway through my college career, I had thrown two innings. I threw two innings my freshman year. I didn't throw anything in my sophomore year. And it was it was God taking away this idol that I had in my life. He's ripping the baseball out of my hands. And by his grace, he didn't take it completely away from me. I got to finish playing. I got to, I got to graduate and I got to finish out my, my college career. But he kind of just ripped it, this, this idolization out of my life. And it was painful, but it was really, it was really awesome because it was a season where God forced me to trust him more. And I remember praying, you know, yeah, whatever this, these final two years of, of baseball is worth, it's not worth much. We don't play on TV. I'm never going to say praise God on that on ESPN. That's never going to happen. But whatever these last two years are worth, I want to give those to you. And I'm, I'm just going to offer that to you. And I just want you to do something cool with it. And sure enough, the next year I got to take on more of a leadership role in, in on the team in, in terms of Bible studies. And by my senior year, I actually got to lead a Bible study and we had nine guys uh, show up every week. And I think a couple of them actually gave their lives to Christ. One of them walked into a church for the first time on Easter Sunday, 2019. And it was, it was really just because God showed up and he redeemed those last two years of my college career when I had kind of had to give up that idol of college baseball. Well, I think for me, it's going to be a time in my high school. So most of my academic life, by God's grace, I, I was privileged to register good results right then i get to my junior year of high school and then we had this merit system where you have the best student and that really was where i used to be and all of a sudden as right at the bottom of the class you know like last student and all this happened in a twinkling of an eye and i could not understand how that happened and where that came from and in addition to that it's very suicidal very depressed lots lost a lot of friends and like God, what's happening? What's happening? Anyway, um, that was a very difficult season, especially because at that time, I think God was teaching me not to, you know, uh, attach my value or significance in my ability to perform, but in, you know, the identity that I have in him. So uh, by God's grace, that story has changed and he rewrote my story and he can rewrite stories. Only if you give him a chance, you only have to trust in him and be like, hey, I am inviting you on and I want to give you a chance. And so that brings me to my kind of the last thing we're going to talk about. How do we even know that God is with us? How do we even know that? And if he is, then how do we invite him into our hearts? How do we allow him to rewrite our stories and to change our lives and to give us hope? Well, I think the reason we know that God is with us is because he promises that he'll be with us. Um, he promises the Israelites in the Old Testament, and then Jesus makes that same promise to his disciples when he sends them out into the world to spread the, spread the gospel. And 
we, we, we use this phrase a lot, spread the gospel. And I think it's, it's worth defining what that means. And the word gospel means good news. And it's the good news knowing that we get to have this hope of eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord, not in our own ability to, to be a good person. It's putting our faith fully in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to take on the penalty for all of our sin and to basically give us our ticket into heaven. And it's not because we earned it. It's not because we deserve it. It's not because we're a good person. It's because we serve a good God who already punched that ticket on our behalf and who already bled and died for us. Well. So a quote that I feel like I return to over and over again um, is R.C. Sproul from, um, actually, I don't know where it's from, but uh, he says, you know, I don't always feel his presence, but God's promises do not depend upon my feelings. They rest upon his integrity. And so just kind of echoing Roe, if you go to his word over and over, if you look at the entire Bible, the whole thing is a love story of God continuously going after his flock, you know, um, the the story in the New Testament where Jesus, you know, he's talking about a shepherd and he goes after that one sheep that is astray. And that's not someone who doesn't even believe in him. That's someone who maybe believed and then got, you know, caught up in the world. He goes after that one sheep, leaving his entire flock behind and picks up that sheep, puts it on his shoulders, carries it home and rejoices. And not just, you know, it's not like he's berating or angry or anything. He's he goes because he knows that you need him. He carries you and then he celebrates. He throws an entire feast because he was able to bring you back. And so it's just reminders throughout the whole Bible about how much he comes after our hearts, regardless of where we're at. And he can t- keeps his promises. He's faithful when we are not. And so wow. that's always encouraging to me. Uh, in addition to that, talking about what Mallory mentioned earlier, that um, anxiousness she felt when the, a certain job would come up, oh, I should apply to this. I should do this. Oh, I'm not at peace about it. And that what we're talking about there is the Holy Spirit inside of us, which God promises was the third part of the Trinity, that we have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. And it tugs at the hearts of believers, um, telling us which way to go, which way not to go when we are doing things that are sinful. Um, and that's just one of the ways that we can f- literally feel God um, moving in there. Um, and then again, I can echo the promises in the word and at the end of Romans 8, it says, for I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor heavenly rulers, nor things that are present or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Um, and so it's again, that complete trust, um, and knowing that what he's done on the cross has reconciled us to God. And because of that. He's always with us, and we're always going to be with him. You know what's crazy about that verse is just about all of the things that Paul references in that verse that can't separate us from God, a lot of those were created by God. Life, angels, principalities, things present, things to come, height, depth, all of that was created by God. He created mountains. He created valleys. And so what Paul is kind of given this double meaning is, hey, like not only will these things not separate you from God, but God is over all of those things. He created all of those things. And so— he, he is, he's, I think he just, in that verse, Paul is just making such a clear point about God's sovereignty and that absolutely nothing in the universe can pull you away from God's love. Well, and just to echo that, I mean, that's repeated um, from, you know, Psalms 139, where it's, where can I go from your presence? Where can I flee from your face? Like, Man, I was thinking the same thing in my head. I'm flipping over to Psalm 139 right now. I'm like, yes. Yeah, that was always my favorite verse because it's like, you know, I may go to the heights, I can go to the depths, I can hide, you know, even in the darkness and, and there you will be, your hand will hold me. And so he is with you always. You need only be still. I mean, mm. just to repeat that yeah. as well. I mean, yeah. I don't know how many times in the Bible that's what, that's actually one of my, um, 
like taglines for myself is I keep wanting to reach and do and constantly. And I think stillness in the Bible is repeated over and over where it's be still and know that I'm God. Um, be still and know that I'm with you. Like all, all of these repeating things where it's like we get caught up in our own stuff and we can't even hear him. But like we were talking about Exodus and Moses. Um, he was one of the people that was able to feel God's presence. And it wasn't this um, big flame and fire and all of this stuff. It was a still quiet voice and so you need to just be still and he will be there yeah you know? well, be still and then uh, be still and know that i am god that's excellent yeah he says and then after that it says i will be exalted among the nations i will be exalted among the entire world yeah that's what god says and i'm just like man it's gonna happen right his wow. promises come true which then kind of point back one more time is like he's also omnipresent just in his power that's part of the nature of who he is that he is able to be all places at all times Mind shattering. I know it's hard to grasp that, um, but that's how we can look at Psalm 139. That's how we can look at you know, what we're um, there in the New Testament. How he's talking to us. He's everywhere. Yeah, Jesus loves you guys. He does. You may not feel like it, but God's goodness is granted to everyone. You know, it's not just for the Christians or for the good people or for the bad people. It's for everyone. And all you have to do is just submit to yourself, submit to control, submit to your interests, to His love, and He will take care of you. That was it. Until next time, love you so much. Hasta la vista. Thank you for tuning in to this episode. We hope you were encouraged and inspired to turn to the only one who can and will satisfy you. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them out. Feel free to reach us on any social media platform at Shine and Delight. You can also shoot us an email at Shine and Delight at Outlook.com. Until next time, be kind, love all, share your shine.